a lot of the story of Advent has to do with women. And they were very important in the story. And so I'm like, okay, God, why, why do you mention women so much in this story? And I think there's some clues here that um, God has for us to look at about why women to begin with, and also why these particular women, what kind of qualities, what kind of keys did they have? Because you see, the, the Advent story of God coming again is really a story about ordinary nobodies. About the only most recognizable hierarchy or pageantry of anything was when the Magi come. But everybody else of the story were just ordinaries, you and me, nobodies. And yet, God saw fit, he entrusted this son, this baby, the son of God who was coming with all power, all glory and everything to this body that was flailing and depended upon ordinary people to protect him and feed him and raise him up so he could one day do what he was coming to do. And that is bring salvation and deliverance and healing and all the glorious other things that he's doing. So in that process, as I was thinking about that, of those ordinary people and why women in particularly, um, as I was praying about that, God brought to my mind, you know, the scripture that says in 2 Peter 1.21, the main thing to keep in mind here is that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of private opinion. And why? There's that question, why? Because it's not something concocted in the human heart Prophecy resulted when the Holy Spirit prompted men and women to speak God's word. So as we think about that, that this Bible, um, who has a Bible? This Bible, every single word of it, is here for a reason. Every word of it is written not just to fill in pages, but every word and story and thing that goes on in it has a purpose to enlighten us and bring understanding of God's plans um, as we process through the ages. So as I thought about that in connection with women and um, why he was using women. Now we think about Mary. Caleb did a great job of bringing some information to us about Mary. And I'm going to talk a little later on today about Elizabeth and Anna, the other two women of the story. But to begin with, I wanted to cover why women? Why did God go to the effort not only to use them, but to make sure it was written down about women in the Bible, these ordinary women? Now, they could have been part of the story. They just didn't have to be written about. But God chose to have women written about in this story. And so there has to be a reason for that. And I believe the reason for that is because we have to go back to Genesis for a quick moment and take a look at the whole story of creation. And I think you'll kind of see what I was seeing about why women are used. So let's go back before the fall to Genesis 1:26. To 31. And in verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign, which means subjugate or have dominion and rule. They will fill the earth and govern it, and that actually means co labor, co rule, meaning men and women co reign, co rule, okay, equal. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. How did he make them? Male and female, he created them. So let's think about this a minute. We're talking about Advent. We're talking about women's stories. 
But I think to get a full understanding, we have to go back to Genesis for a moment and take a look about the story of women. The original plan for men and women was to co-reign, co-rule, have dominion of the earth, bring the kingdom of God to bear in the earth, multiply, and have it be the dominion it's supposed to be and will one day be at his second coming. But prior to the fall, when God had created men and women, he created them in whose image? His image. Now, he didn't make three divisions of people, you know, men, women, and whatever. He made men and women, and he put all of the essence of himself and the Godhead into two people. Two beings, men and women. Now think about that a minute. If we have a world dominated only by men, only men in the forefront of everything, we're going to get half of the essence of who God is. Did you ever think about that? Women are the other side of God, the nurturing side the loving side, the side that has compassion for the boo-boos, has compassion and mercy for when we fail as children. The whole aspect of who women are and how God made us presents to us half of who God is. So in a world where we don't have men and women working together, Tammy would tell us in marriages, you need a man and a woman. You need a husband and a wife for the fullness of creation of a family. Because it's the aspect of both that come together to bring the fullness of what we're supposed to have. That's, that's why God created that. He, now, think about it. He could have created just men. Or he could have created just women. Or he could create just its or whatever. But he created two people to work together, to co-labor, co-reign, and to co-show the fullness of who he is. Right? Now, let's think about that for a minute. Um, anybody in here a first-time visitor? Do we have anybody? Right there, well, your lucky day. <laughs> Can we come over here? Now, I have in my hand a $20 bill. Okay? It has two sides. Right? Now, when I show you this side, what do you see? The value of it. What else do you see? You see a man. Right? Okay. Now I'm going to flip it over, and what do you see now? You see a house. Right? On this bill, we need to think about men and women just like this bill. It's currency. It's the currency of heaven. Men and women are the currency of heaven that God gave to the world to bring about everything that God needs to do here on this earth. And when he spins us, in other words, when he gives us over to something, the world does not care with this bill. Do you want this bill only if it's got this side up? Would you care if it had this side up? No, you wouldn't care. You would take the house or the female side, you would take the male side, just give me the bill. The world needs the fullness. And the world doesn't care, men or women, because it spins in the currency of God, it spins equally. It ha doesn't have less value because it has a man's image on one side and a house on another. It, the fullness of what it is spins to the world exactly whichever way it's presented. 
So enjoy lunch. Yeah. Now. Let's pick up, let's pick up in verse 31. Sorry, not today. In verse 31, it says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. Everything else he had said, it's good. But on man and woman, making of men and women together to co-labor, he said it's very good. The emphasis is on very good. Because God doesn't make mistakes, and he, does, and he totally knows what he's doing all the time. Amen. He doesn't just have to hope that it'll work out for good. In Genesis 2.18, it goes on to say, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper. What's the word with it? Comparable. Comparable. That's that dollar bill. One side is comparable to the other. It both spins. It's 20 bucks. And so whether the world sees a man or the world sees a woman, the world has the opportunity to see God, whichever vessel God wants to use. And in the case of Advent, God wanted to use women. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But it goes on to tell us um, in that, in connection with the, the Webster definition of helper and comparable, it says, provide what is necessary to accomplish a task. So when God said a mate that was comparable, they were equal to the task. God was making men and women equal to the task. And comparable also means opposite, counterpart, counterbalance. And together, God knew that when men and women work alongside of each other, co-laboring, co-working, that the fullness of the power of all that God has is coming to the, to the world. But you see, a little thing happened called the fall. And it changed everything because it brought sin into the world. And as a result of that, the decline and the view, of course, of women changed. The role of women changed, the view of women changed, the status of women changed. And fallen mankind began to develop traditions, ways of operating, all kinds of ways because of the fallen perspective. And we were losing, and we were losing out on the fullness of who God was because women weren't in the picture helping as the way God had originally intended. So with that, I believe part of the reason why when we celebrate Advent, God went to the great effort to put three women's stories in the Bible was because it was part of the plan of God to bring about to mankind and the world the fullness of who women are as well as the fullness of who God is. Amen. He didn't have to, but he chose to do that. And I think if you would read Old Testament, we saw that. You can go and research, and that's a whole other message about where through inherit, gaining back inheritances, ruling and reigning with Miriams and Deborahs to the New Testament, that Jesus, in everything he did, even with his first coming of Advent, they decided, he and the Father decided to, to bring Roman up a little more in the status of what needed to be to restore them to their original place. In Genesis 3, 11 to 12, um, you know, with the fall of man, it said, who told you that you were naked? This is when the fall happened. And the Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree those fruit, the fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. Classic shifting of the blame and justification. It's been around since the fall. But as a result, as things went along in the Jewish tradition, women became very much um, not looked at as having any right to speak. 
In fact, women couldn't give testimonies in court. They would never be believed to give um, words of information to be passed along to the men. Um, they would never be allowed to put in, be put in any kind of a position. And yet, Jesus was always doing something to counteract the Jewish tradition in the connection with women. See, as God began to restore the original place of women from the Old Testament to the New, Jesus continued that with his coming. And we read in John uh, 5, 19, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. So with the advent, God was trying to get the world to begin to understand women have a place. And we're going to talk about that as we look at the three women here in a minute and what they brought to the table. So we have three ordinary women brought together by the advent of Jesus. They were all, interestingly, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now that's a key. We're going to talk about what are the qualities or the keys that help us to be able to be used as ordinary people. One of those keys is the baptism and the filling of the Holy Spirit because you'll see in a little while how it enables and empowers us to do what we need to do. So let's take a look at now some of these things in regards to the three women, or especially Elizabeth and Anna, in regards to the Christmas story and what they have to give us as keys. It says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And everything that Jesus did as he lived on the earth from the first coming that he did until he comes back again is in the process of trying to help us all to come into that fullness of women and men reigning together. Now let's look at Elizabeth for a little bit. Unlike Mary, because Mary was what? How old? 14. That's a good guess, 14. Unlike Mary, Elizabeth was, oh, I mean, her expiration date had long gone. But like Mary, she was several things. She was available. She was interruptible. And she was willing to be obedient. Those are keys if we want to be used by God. We need to be available. We need to be interruptible in what our daily goings on are. And we need to be willing, obedient when he says. Like Mary, she had no experience with raising a kid. But just like Mary, I'm sure she shared about angel visits, prophetic words that were spoken, and the call of God on her son's life. So let's pick up with her story. We're going to look at the scriptures a little bit about Elizabeth, and then we'll go to Anna. In Luke 1, 6-7, it says, And they were both righteous, this is speaking of Elizabeth and her husband, before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So she was righteous, and blameless. Those are some keys that we need to live our life as much as possible, righteous and blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. And yet, here was her husband working, still in the temple, still working. And believe it or not, there is no word in the Jewish language for retirement. Because God uses us until we take our last breath. So here we have a woman who was righteous in spite of being barren. Now in that day, because of the traditions of men and how people looked at it, if you were childless, it was really, really bad. 
people would look at you and they would talk about you and they would say things like, well, they must have some secret sin or they must have uh, places that they're not fulfilling the law or they must be this or they must be that. It was constantly making for judgments against why people were barren. Otherwise, because barrenness meant you weren't blessed of God, and if you had children, you were blessed of God. So if you weren't blessed by God, you had to be doing something wrong. And yet, in spite of that, she was righteous, meaning her attitude kept right, no matter how disappointed she was. See, it's easy to be faithful when everything is going good. But in her case, she was faithful to believe that God hadn't made a mistake, that they were living their life as right as they could before the Lord, and she believed that with all of her heart and was faithfully serving God in spite of it. That's another key. See, a real test is when the disappointments, the shame, the unanswered prayers, depression, all those things happen in our life, and we still continue to endure, we still continue to hold on, we still continue to press in and glorify God as much as we can. Those are the keys that what takes an ordinary person like Elizabeth and makes her a person that is listed in this Bible and forever until God comes back will be glorified for her position of what she did. Now, just in connection with this, let's talk a minute a little bit more about what it was probably like to be barren. Now, if you were barren, and it says in the scriptures that it was her problem. Have you ever had something go on that's your problem, and you have no physical way of changing the situation? In all of your control, in all of your able and ability, you cannot fix it. And yet, she believed. Yet, she was righteous and faithful and kept a good attitude. Now, can you imagine daily going down to get your water? And here's all the women gathering together to get their water. And this one over here says, oh, I just had a new grandchild. Oh, so-and-so I heard just had their baby. Oh. And here's Elizabeth being looked at as barren, being shunned, having to hear about the joy of children, grandchildren, all these kinds of things, all the pregnancies, all the stuff going on, and yet she still was righteous. It shows a level of spiritual maturity that God saw and knew that he could entrust what was going to take place. Now, of course, in verses 8 to 23, we're not going to look at those really too much, but that's the continuing story of Zacharias, but they have to, which is her husband, but it has a little bit to do with Elizabeth. Now, one of the things was, in the story was, it came time for him to get to go in and offer offerings in the Holy of Holies. Now, that was a big deal, because there were so many priests, and it was done by lottery system, that it was possible that a person would, could be a priest but never get to ever have that privilege. And yet, here he was, an old man, his wife an old woman, and he gets the lottery fall to him. He gets to go in to the Holy of Holies and present the offerings. But see, in God's timing, it's never late. It's never, ever too late. God's timing is always right. The timing of God is never off. But in the process, you know the story, angel comes, talks to Zacharias, tells him they're going to have a son, and uh, he didn't quite get it. He didn't quite believe about it. And as I was reading this story, and as I told you, I asked myself, why, why, why? I saw that he asked a question, Mary, that 
Caleb talked about asked a question, and to me, they looked the same question. And we see this in uh, Luke 1.18 and 1.34, these two questions. I think there should be a slide. How shall I know this? That was Zachariah's question. And Mary said, how can this be? Both Zacharias and Mary were looking at natural circumstances. So why did Zach get punished, in a sense? I mean, I would call being mute, and some people think he might have even been deaf because they had to sign to him at the, when they were giving the name to John. Why was he put into that position? And Mary asked a simple question, how can this be? And she doesn't get it. Did you ever think about that? It had to do with a heart trust issue. That was the essence of it. And see, God looks at ordinary people wanting us to be available, wanting us to be interruptible, whatever, but we also have to be willingly obedient and believe when he tells us something that seems to be beyond the natural. See, Zacharias had the Old Testament example of Sarah and Abraham. So he already had an example that God's quite capable of taking two elderly people and creating Bambino. And yet, for him, he's looking at it and thinking of all the natural reasons why it couldn't have been. He wanted some more proof. He wanted some more understanding of how the natural could perform the supernatural. But Mary, on the other hand, was not having a heart issue of trust. As Caleb gave us the wonderful message, she had all the heart trust in the world. She was just asking a mechanical question. How does this happen? when there's no man involved. Not will it happen, are you sure this can happen? It was just a mechanical question. Difference was in the heart. And see, another key to this heart thing that we have to think about is that we believe in order to see. If you want to be used of God, if you want to be an ordinary person and God speaks something to you, we have to be in a place where we believe before we actually see. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of what? Of things unseen. The word evidence in that scripture means title deed. Mary that day reached out and took in faith the title deed, as it was, to a miracle. She believed in order for her to be able to see. Now, something else about Elizabeth that we need to think about was the fact that she was really the first to prepare the way of the Lord. We talk about John, her son, being one called to prepare the way of the Lord. But how did he get this information? He got it from a mom who came across and told him about angels and destinies and believing and sharing the scriptures and sharing the hope of what had happened and believed it all the way. And with that sharing and believing, she was preparing the way of the Lord first so that her son then could later prepare the way of the Lord. And that's another key for us, if we want to be used of God, to be available in all those things, interruptible, is that we always need to be thinking of preparing the way of the Lord in people's lives. Because he is coming again. Just because one advent happened, there's still another one coming. And we need to prepare the way, whether it's in our 
our families' lives, in the world's lives, our neighborhood's lives. We need to prepare the way, whatever it is that God shows us how to do. Now, another thing that happened, we see in verse 24 that she hid herself for five months. In other words, when Elizabeth became pregnant, she didn't go out for five months. Now, I thought about that. You know me. Like, why? I'm always asking the questions. Why, Lord? Why did she not go out for those many months? And as I pondered on that, one of the things that came to, me, to my mind is don't cast your pearls before swine. For all of these years, she had been a part of where she had known the shame, know the rebuke, know the reproach of being barren. And now she was pregnant. And she was marinating everything that God had told her about this child that was going to be. And as she was marinating this, you know how it is when you marinate, it begins to tender things, it begins to bring flavor to things. Well, as she marinated on the word, and that's another key for us, is to read the scriptures and to marinate on what God says to us. I believe what was happening was she was working through every attitude, every bit of bitterness, every bit of unforgiveness, every bit of hurt, every bit of shame, every bit of depression, every emotion that you can imagine that she went through for all of those years in dealing with being the one who was barren and in her fault. She had to process that because if it would have been me and I hadn't processed, I'd be walking out there. <laughs> yeah, you want to say something now? Yeah, I am favored. Yeah, you thought I wasn't favored. Well, just goes to show you what you know in God. Attitudes. Attitudes of the heart of the secret place. She knew that the, that the child she was going to raise required a mom who had her act together, maturity-wise. Because she was going to have a child who was going to be very unique. And she knew what it felt like, the reproach. And she had to get herself right. Because you see, later, we know in the story, Mary comes and visits her. Mary, who was going to have to suffer the reproach of being unwed. And here was Elizabeth who could help her in how to deal with that. And so for five months, she kept herself in secret, getting her act together. See, the word reproach means Everything the name covers, everything the thought or feeling of which is aroused in the mind by mentioning or hearing something. See, Elizabeth was known to be barren. And now she was going to go from being barren to blessed. Amen. She was going to go from being less than to more than by a God who believes in miracles. And those are keys for us, that just because we're old and our expiration date is, is out there a little too far, God can still continue to use us. It doesn't matter how old we are. God wants to continue to use us. Let's pick up her story again in Luke 1, 36 to th uh, 45. And this is where it involves Mary, the story of Mary. And an angel was speaking to Mary, and it says, Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, her, her excuse me, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, many times when we read that and we quote that, with God, nothing is impossible, we tend to always connect that to Mary. Virgin birth, nothing shall be impossible. Right. But the actual scripture is in reference to Elizabeth. Here, Elizabeth is mentioned. Again, I'm always asking why. Why did the angel bother 
to tell Mary in the midst of all that was going on that she was going to conceive and have a son. Why did he bring up, you know, like he had nothing better to do. He had looked at his heavenly watch and said, oh, I got another five minutes to kill. Oh, by the way, let me just tell you something to kill time here. Your cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant. I don't believe that. I believe, again, nothing put into those scriptures is by chance. There's a purpose for it. So why was he purposing to highlight, to spotlight Elizabeth to Mary and to include with it that nothing shall be impossible? Well, I believe it was because he wanted her to pick up on, hey, you need to go see Elizabeth. It's important. And this whole thing about that Elizabeth and Mary, God wanted them to have a divine connection. Because in the story as we read it, Mary helps Elizabeth and Elizabeth helps Mary. You see, God uses divine connections in our life if we pick up on them. Pastor. How many divine connections has God brought to you in concerning Africa? More than you can count. If Pastor Dwight hadn't picked up on divine connections with people, sometimes it was in passing, sometimes it was in a conversation, sometimes it was just in a happenstance of how events and people showed up at the same time. But see, with God, nothing is by happenstance. Nothing is by any mistake. And so another key for us is to learn that connections are, can be divinely can, uh, planned by God, and we need to be aware of those and pick up on them. See, another thing was Elizabeth needed to impart to Mary, and in some ways mentor her. And that's another key. If you're a person, even though you're ordinary, even though you're a nobody, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're trying to make your way in the sense of your daily walk, you have to understand that there's probably something you have that you've been through that God's been faithful to bring you through that you have to share and encourage someone else. And in that sharing, that's a key of what God is looking for, heart willing to share what God has done for us. So we have now Mary, and it says in verse, um, the next verse, verse 39, now Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with what? Haste. Like, oh, maybe next week or so, I'll go see what all that's about with Elizabeth. I got plenty of time, you know, babies take nine months, I don't need to go right now. But no, she made haste. Again, why that word? Because I believe it's another key, it's another clue that God has for us. When God is moving in your life, don't wait around. Make haste. Put plans into motion. Step out in any way you can towards the things that God is doing. When God is doing something unbelievable in your life, you need to be with others who understand the unbelievable too. I'm going to repeat that. When God is doing something in your life that is unbelievable and miraculous. You need to be around others who understand the unbelievable too. Why? Because you need to encourage each other. You need to be able to say, hey, I understand how scared you are. Hey, I understand that this seems impossible. But let me tell you, I, I know that feeling, but God is able. And we need to encourage one another in those things. And when God's moving in your life, make haste and hang around people who believe 
the unbelievable, who know how to believe for a miracle. I'm telling you, if you get cancer, if you're sick, if you need a miracle in your life, don't hang around people who believe God doesn't heal anymore. You will be discouraged. You need to be able to be around people who believe in miracles, who believe that God heals today like he did the other day, and like he did back when he was here on earth. If I have a person who has died, you better believe, and I have done this in the past, that I have been around people who have passed away, and I have gone and laid hands on them and asked God to raise them. Now, you didn't hear about it, you didn't read about it in the news, so obviously it didn't happen. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. You can go to countries, Africa, anywhere, and hear story after story after story of the dead being raised. And when you're in a situation that you need something supernatural, a miracle, empowerment, get yourself around people who believe for those things. And then it goes on in verse 41, and it says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That's another key. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is what helps bring the enablement for us to do. And then in verse 42, it says, Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women... And blessed is the fruit of your womb, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? This tells us several things about Elizabeth. One, she was filled with the Spirit, and she was acting out in the gift of the prophetic. Now she speaks a prophetic word to Mary, who is, we know, conceived, has conceived to have Jesus, but is only maybe a week old, week long in her conception. There is no baby pouch. There is no baby bump. And yet, Elizabeth prophesies and tells her that her womb has fruit. Then she says, she not only speaks that, but she calls her the mother of my Lord. What is she saying here? She's saying, listen, not only are you pregnant, Mary, but you're carrying the Messiah, the one that I believed in and have been believing in, have been waiting, have been looking for the first advent or the coming of the Messiah all of my life. And now here you are, pregnant and carrying my Messiah. <clears throat> Let's look at a few more qualities, and then we're going to go to Anna here in a minute. When Jesus shows up, we should be affected by the Holy Spirit. Now, what do I mean by that? When Jesus showed up to Elizabeth's house in Mary, Elizabeth was affected by his presence. When you come in here on Sunday morning and we all join together with, the, with Christ within us, together corporately, you should be affected by the presence of Jesus in this place. If you leave here on Sunday morning without ever being affected by the presence of Jesus, then there's something that you're not paying attention to or coming in with um, as you come in. Because when the presence of Jesus is here, you should be touched. It should be a connection that you have. Can you imagine... Elizabeth and Mary together for those three months that they stayed together. What did they have conversation about? I'm sure it wasn't about the weather. It was probably a variety of things. One, Elizabeth was probably sharing with Mary, let me tell you what your body's going to go through. She was probably helping her to understand what it was to be pregnant and how all that was going to play out. 
But the two of them were gaining, able to share back and forth. Can you believe it? We're going to have two children that are going to work together for God's plan. Oh my gosh, the pressure. And then one feeding to another and saying, you can do it. Oh girl, I know you can do it. Don't forget to tell them. Don't forget to say the angel. Don't forget to tell what the angel said. Don't forget to tell about the dad that's like zip-lipped that can't talk. You gotta trust. I'm sure there was so much going on to be able to be encouraged with each other as they process through those times. Mentoring was going on. Elizabeth was helping Mary to know what it was they're gonna have reproach, as I said before. You know, Elizabeth was probably helping Mary to know, here's priorities. If you're gonna raise a child and this is gonna happen and this is gonna happen, we gotta have these kind of priorities in our life. You see, one of the things that comes with the empowerment that God has as we do these things is that God's assignments come with his built-in enablement. So when Elizabeth and Mary were told to go and do what they needed to do, and that is to raise these children and have these children and to believe for these children, God, when he comes and says, Pastor, I want you to go and I want you to spread the gospel into this country and this country and take nations to nations here and there. And he's going, but Lord, you see these pockets? He pulls them out. Just some change, some pocket change. How do I fund what it needs to be to take these nations to nations schools to all these places? God said, do it. And Pastor D, because he has walked this out, he has believed for these miracles. It's like, it's not my pockets anyway. It's God's money. Because the enablement, when God tells you something, Patrick, when God tells you something, Todd, that he wants you to do and go and do it, there will be the enablement, there will be the funding, there will be the whatever provision you need to do what he's called you to do. And that's part of the key. Because so many times we say, but God, I would, but I just don't know how that can happen. Well, my warning to you is don't be like Zachariah because you're liable to end up mute and not share anything, be able to share anything. Instead, be like Mary and say, be it unto me, Lord. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I am willing to be interruptible, I'm willing to be available, and I'm willing to be obedient. Let's jump to Anna, because we're about ready to wrap up here. In Luke 2, 36 to 38, we have just a few scriptures about Anna, yet her life says a lot in those few scriptures. It says, now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him, of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Now, another woman. Why does God go to the effort of speaking to us about another woman? And again, it has to do with raising up the view of women in many different ways. So here's this woman, and she is very elderly. In fact, they figure, I mean, if you figure it and do the math, she had to be somewhere, depending on what, how old she was when she was married, anywhere from being 84 to 105 years. Now, if anything, we need to understand that age, again, has no importance in God using you. She has no children. All of these things doesn't matter to God when he wants to use us. But she knew her scriptures. 
She was giving herself to prayer. She was believing for a Messiah that she had yet to see. But somehow, like Simeon in another part of the story, she had this knowing that somehow, some way, someday, the Messiah was coming and that she just might get to see his coming. So another key is, read your word. Know what it says. Know what the promises are so that you're ready when God says to be ready and you can put it all together and go and do what is needed. Another thing with her was that she was getting ready to minister not for acceptance, but from acceptance. Now let me repeat that. She wasn't going to do what she did for acceptance, for the accolades, for the notoriety, for the attaboys on the back. She wasn't going to give this delivery of this word for acceptance, but she was giving it from acceptance. She knew that she was a woman of God. She knew who, who she was in God, and she was not afraid to do what God had called her to do. She knew she was accepted and beloved in the Lord, and that's all that mattered. She didn't need man's acceptance to do what she was going to go do. And that's another key. So many times we jump out and want to do things for the Lord, but we do it so men will look at us, so men will give us acceptance and approval. But she did it doing it just because she was already accepted and she knew this. Another thing was she believed in those scriptures. Now it had been over 400 years since God had spoke prophetically. And yet here is this woman getting up and it tells us in the scriptures that she was a prophet who spoke. Now, again, why the terminology? Why did God put that in there? It was, again, in a day and age when men didn't believe in women operating in the ministry of the fivefold. And yet, here she is operating in that ministry, and it's recorded forever, no one's ever going to doubt that Anna was a five-fold prophet. And that was okay with God. In fact, he was the one who had sent her to do this. Now imagine, imagine the temple that day. Ordinary day, people coming, people going. Because she was a woman, she was only allowed in so far. And it was the area where everybody was coming in. Men, women, uh, Gentiles, whatever. If they wanted to come in, they, they could come into that area. But that's all the farther she went. And yet, something was going off in her spirit saying, get to the temple, come out. Because she lived there day and night. But she had to come out from where she was and begin to share and look around. It was like the radar went up. Her antenna went up because she was on an assignment from God. And that's another key for us. When God wants to use us and he wants us to be available and interruptible, I mean, can you imagine? We don't know what time it was. She might have been having her tea and crumpets right then, you know, and had to get up and go do whatever God was saying to do. She was interruptible, she was available, and she was obedient. And she put her prophetic antenna up and was searching the crowds for where the Spirit of God was landing. And she found it because we know Simeon was there already speaking and moving in the things of the Spirit over, over baby Jesus and marrying them as they came to dedicate him but also because she had her prophetic up, she could sense that where that was going on so that she could go right to where that was and begin to speak. <clears throat> See, here's this woman, just again a nobody, an ordinary, who never got out of the temple. 
It wasn't like she had a notoriety in the village or in Jerusalem or wherever. She didn't have, I mean, the woman was only there all the time. But yet God used her and he promoted her by the description of being a prophet. And that's another key that God promotes us as we prepare to be used. She was day and night praying, fasting, reading, believing, living a life just as Elizabeth had of being righteous, humble before the Lord, and she had prepared all these years, and now her time for promotion to be called a prophet, a fivefold prophet, was about to happen. And so many times, see, we want, to, we want the title before we get the actual duty. But it's the people, the ordinary people, who serve in ordinary back ways, who clean the toilets and do this and put the chairs up and do this and do that, who are never really seen by the majority of the people that God uses to promote his work. These are all keys for us. And so, as God moved in that day in the spirit, she was ready to give that word. And so my question to you is, do you know what it is when the spirit of, move, spirit of God moves? Are you able to discern that on a Sunday morning? If not, you want to grow in that. Because when we go and we enter in together and we corporately do this, something fantastic happens. Because, see, God uses ordinary people, nobodies, to bring him glory. Because it's not us. We're nobodies. We're ordinary people. He uses us because we're available, we're interruptible, and we're willing to be obedient. In closing, there is a group called the Williams Brothers. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. But they were a group, and they, they made a song. Didn't make it that, I don't think, that much out there. But it was an interesting title. And the chorus says, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about a somebody who can save anybody. Amen. And that's what we are here today. That's what Elizabeth was, that's what Anna was, that was what Mary was, that's what everybody, the lowly, the lowly shepherds, everything were ordinary people, nobodies, who were willing, though, to tell everybody they came across about a somebody who could save everybody. And that's the whole purpose of Advent is to bring his coming for the first time to an unbeliever or to help them to come to a place to grow and bring the kingdom for when his second coming is going to come. Would you stand? I'm going to pray, and then I wanted to let you know because the baptism is so important, enabling all these people that we, we heard about today. Because Elizabeth was baptized, Mary was baptized, we read Zacharias after he did believe, he got baptized. Everybody needs the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we're done and dismissed today, if you haven't received the baptism, or you want a fresh and filling of the baptism, Please come up and we'll have some people who will pray for you for that. There's not a better time than in this Advent season of when the Spirit of God can fall upon you anew and afresh to empower you to take the gospel out there. But I want to pray for everybody now. Lord Jesus, here we are. We're a church of ordinary, nobodies, who just want to be used of you to be able to tell everybody we come across that there's a somebody who can save anybody if they trust him. 
So Lord, I pray for every single person here today that something in this message, whether it was a key or several keys to how to uh, just take it to a new level in you, Maybe it's saying, Lord, I need to be better at being available. I need to be better at being interruptible when you speak to me and not put it off. Or I need to be better, Lord, at being obedient when you're tugging in that still, small way on my heart to go and say something or do something. Lord, I pray for every single person here and everybody who might happen to listen to the tape that they will be impacted to switch it up to a new level, Lord, to take it to a higher place, that they will be available and interruptible and obedient whenever you say, Lord, to do that, that they will prepare, Father, in their private time so that when promotion time comes, you can promote them or use them to be mentors, Lord. Whatever it is that they need to take to the next level, Lord, so that they can be men and women used of you to usher in the kingdom and bring about the second coming. Lord, we pray, I pray, come Holy Spirit and fall now on every heart. Lord, use this time to bring about an increase for your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen.